the scale and sophistication of cyber attacks are rising exponentially, but so are the levels of investment, innovation, and corporate activity in the space. There was over $30 billion invested in cybersecurity companies last year. So it is a very well-funded space from the investment perspective. I'm Allison Nathan, and this is Exchanges at Goldman Sachs. Amid heightened geopolitical tensions and slowing economic growth, the world is bracing for a surge in cyber attacks. So what are companies and investors doing to prepare? To help us understand the key issues, I'm sitting down with David Campbell, who invests in growth equity companies, many of which are cybersecurity startups for our asset management division, and Marco Paletti from our investment banking division, who's been involved in recent M&A deals in the space. David, Marco, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you. So every day, it seems like we're hearing of yet another cyber attack that is wreaking havoc in some way on society. So just give us a sense of the scope of these attacks today and how the cybersecurity market has evolved. David, maybe you can start us off. Yeah, with economic, social infrastructure and government value moving into our computer systems, we expect that the cyber attacks are going to be a permanent part of our ongoing computer life. So how has it evolved? It's moved from an annoyance to now where it's really an organized business. I think a recent McKinsey study estimated that the amount of cyber-related losses will move from $6 trillion last year to over $10 trillion in 2025. Now, that's over 20% CAGR. And that the spend to try and defend against these attacks is going to rise to over $100 billion in 2025. So I think that cybersecurity is going to be a core part of our ongoing online presence. And we're not only expecting to see the number of attacks increasing, but how is the environment changing in terms of the overall surface area that's vulnerable to these attacks, given all the shifts we're seeing today in terms of moves to the cloud, the digital transformation, the fact that people are just working remotely more? Yeah, the attack surface has expanded dramatically. You know, we've moved from the data center to a very diversified set of endpoints and computing platforms. You've got mobile, you've got web, cloud, SaaS, IoT, and OT. So attacks are happening from all points where you touch a computer system these days. This has made it easier for cyber criminals as they now have more places where they can enter the system and infiltrate into the computer systems. And it's made it much, much harder for the cybersecurity professionals who are trying to defend all these points because they're no longer in one place. They're very diversified and they often don't control large parts of those systems that they now need to defend. Yeah, I agree with David. I would say, look, you have more data to protect. There's more way to access that data. And so that results in that attack surface being more vulnerable. And by the way, that's true for consumers. You know, we live more and more of our lives in the digital world. We have more data saved in the cloud and that just makes it more risky for us. And so we've also had geopolitical developments this year, Russia's invasion of Ukraine, you know, rising geopolitical tensions in other parts. So has that raised the risk of further attacks or are there other drivers as well behind this rise in attacks and in more places? Yeah, that's a really interesting question, because if you look at where most of the attacks are coming from today, it's really not from nation states. It's from organized crime. And when you're looking at the war in Ukraine, we haven't really seen nation state driven 
cyber attacks come out of Ukraine to the rest of the Western world yet. It's interesting. I was in Israel meeting with a number of my clients a month ago, and the general view was that that cyber war at the nation state level hasn't really happened yet. And look, we obviously don't know where the Ukraine war is going to head into and the further developments that we may see. But there is a scenario where Russia uses cyber warfare as a way to fend off the sanctions and you know any potential escalation. And frankly, I think that's the reason why there's been guidance from governments all across the Western world to have essentially all companies in a quote-unquote shields-up mentality because it may come. Yeah, I would add on to that. It's quite interesting when you look at nation states, they've developed a lot of cyber weapons. They don't want to use them because once you use them, you expose them and then you start to build defenses for them. So they use them fairly sparingly. But one of the interesting things in the Ukraine attack was how the group Conti, one of the cyber criminal groups, helped Russia to attack the Ukraine, scraping texts and you know, infiltrating information. The interesting thing is that Conti was estimated to have $180 million of revenue last year on $6 million of expenses. I mean, if we could build a business like that, we'd be doing very well. However, they also have the advantage that they do something like this and it hurts their business model because now people don't want to pay their ransomware. And so they just rebrand overnight. And so they're splintering into multiple you know, rebranded groups who are now you know, coming back into the market. Same tools, same people, different name. Interesting. But if we take a step back and talking about these trends in terms of increased attacks, greater sophistication, are the tools in general keeping up with this onslaught? Look, I would say that as you look at any complex zone, there is a constant evolution of both the attacks and the defenses, and the defenses are evolving. The challenge is, the assets always said, the attackers only have to get through once and succeed once. The defenders have to succeed 100% of the time, and that's a very uneven playing field. I think the other challenge we have is, you know, with the black market and so much money now in cyber attacks that the criminals have an increasingly sophisticated tool set that's evolving much quicker. So some of the changes that we've seen in the market is we are starting to see AI and ML technology leak into the cyber defense space to try and keep ahead of the attacks that we don't know. And then more of a support infrastructure, we're starting to see things like software supply chain security tools starting to come in that are helping downstream users of these technologies to be safer. And Marka, do you have thoughts in terms of you know areas of innovation that you're seeing to defend against these attacks? Yeah, definitely. And I would say it's a very dynamic environment today where I truly think we have entered into a new wave of innovation for cybersecurity. And I would say that a couple of themes that I would mention, one is around cloud security. We were talking about that earlier. More and more data is being moved to the cloud, more and more workloads are being moved to the cloud. And so because of that new wave of computing, you just need new ways to secure that. And so there are a lot of startups today that are trying to address the problem of cloud security. And the second theme I would mention is really just around bringing more protection into the software development lifecycle. Because if you think about it, everything being built on software, the easiest way to secure that software is actually to bring real-time, runtime protection of that software as it's being built. And so I would say those two areas are probably one where we're seeing a lot of investments, a lot of innovation, um, a lot of venture capital focus. And David, I'd be curious to get your perspective on those two. 
Yeah, of course. And it's quite interesting because as we've seen more and more sophistication come into the tools, it's still the best defense that a company can still bring to its environments is education. So we have seen a rise in various companies that are focused on helping to upskill end users, helping to upskill the security professional and helping to upskill developers. And then on the other side of it, the other innovations we're seeing the simplification of the cybersecurity stack as the number of places where you can be attacked and the type of attacks you can have, that's brought a lot of complexity into the defense. And so companies who are starting to simplify that security stack make it easier for businesses to provide a comprehensive security platform for their environment is the other place. I think we've seen some real innovation and I think that will continue over the next few years. I agree with you. I think that last theme is extremely important. If you think about it, just in the US, there's something close to 2,000 security vendors at RSA, which is the largest cybersecurity conference in the world. There's something like 300 new vendors. And so companies and customers of cybersecurity really need help in simplifying their security stack to actually really be able to have a security posture that works. And that level of innovation is also leading to a surge in cybersecurity M&A deals. And Marco, you've worked on a number of these deals. From your perspective in investment banking, what does deal activity look like? And do you expect the pace of transactions to continue? Where do we go from here? Yeah, and maybe to put that in numbers, we saw about $70 billion of M&A volume for cybersecurity in 2021. And that number was four times what we saw in 2020. And the short answer to your question is, I would expect that that level to stay at a relatively high mark for the foreseeable future. And there's really two main reasons for that. The first one is when you think about security for large corporates, security has really become a horizontal priority that is, frankly, a requirement in order to do everything else their business does. And because of that importance of security for companies that has made large cloud providers really being more focused on the space. And I would expect them to continue growing inorganically to really acquire more protection mechanism that they can then offer to their own customers. And on the other side, you have financial sponsors, which have become very active in cybersecurity. The reason for that is I think the financial model and the business model for cybersecurity companies is extremely resilient and extremely durable, which are obviously two characteristics that financial sponsors tend to like. And so that's the reason why I also think that from that universe of financial investors, we'll see them doing more in cybersecurity. Well, let's talk a couple of minutes about the investment landscape. David, you invest in cyber startups within asset management. How do you think about investing in cybersecurity? What's your strategy? Yeah, well, look, there was over $30 billion invested in cybersecurity companies last year. So it is a very well-funded space from the investment perspective. And the challenge is, is there are literally thousands of businesses out there. The way we approach it is we're looking for things that have some longevity because typically valuations are quite high, even in very early stages of these businesses. So we're looking for companies that we think either address a very new space in a novel and defensible way or things that could grow into being part of the security platform and in and of themselves a platform. We try to avoid better mousetraps. And it's not because better mousetraps aren't good and then there's some really valid technology developed there, but it's very hard to grow them into a large business over time because soon enough with such a dynamic environment, you'll need an even better mousetrap in the future. So that's a tough place to be. We have focused a lot on AI and ML. We've looked at that space. I think there's some really interesting 
interesting technologies coming out of that. We've looked at technologies and companies that help simplify that cybersecurity stack, particularly for the low end of the market, where it's just overwhelming. You can't hire cyber professionals. There's a lack of them, and you can't really keep up with the complexity of the environment. So I think that's really important. And then the other place which we discussed earlier on is we look at new areas of the attack surface. Certainly SaaS, I think, has become an incredibly important space, and we've been looking at a number of businesses in that space. And then you look at things like the collaboration environment. We've seen workflows move out of email into collaboration environments, and collaboration environments are far more dispersed, so they're very difficult to defend. And so these are some of the spaces where we've been focusing on. But if you think about the investment environment more broadly, it's obviously quite challenging across the markets. And cyber is one of those areas where people are still quite excited about. So competition's intense, valuations are high. So it's a challenging investment environment, correct? It is. We've looked at hundreds of businesses last year, and I think we made two, maybe three investments that you could call cybersecurity related. So it's a really tough environment. It is very competitive. You tend to have to focus on things that you really believe have some longevity and defensibility to them. Right. And in general, has that changed the way you're thinking about investing or change your criteria at all, this pretty challenging environment? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the things you have to do when a company becomes obvious as a new pillar in the cybersecurity world, its valuation becomes out of reach. And it's a great company, but a very difficult investment. I think that has forced us to move much earlier in the investing landscape. So we're typically coming in, even in Series B, you know, and we're typically much later stage of the businesses, but now we're coming in at very low levels of revenue, but with a proven team, proven technology, and aligned with parts of the market where we feel there's a strong thesis for success. So when looking at cybersecurity, we are more thematically driven and we tend to go earlier in the company's life cycle. And are there particular themes you're focused on? So themes that we're focused on fall into two main categories. The first one is new security requirements that are driven by changes in the ecosystem. And these are things like cloud and SaaS, identity management and authorization, application security, DevSecOps. We also look at data security and privacy, and we are focused on the attack surface management. The other category is application of new technology into solving fundamental problems. And these are things like using AI and ML to solve existing security problems better, or things like full stack managed security service providers or MSSPs. And Marco, are you seeing similar things to David on the investor side from your seat? Yeah, unfortunately for David, I have to agree based on all the discussions I'm having with my own clients and our clients in investment banking, where I do think security remains an area where a lot of VC firms, private equity, late stage growth investors really want to find a way of investing given all of the tailwinds we talked about earlier. And especially in a world where we're seeing a ton of innovation, I also think that a lot of investors are thinking through, well, what is truly going to become a platform and can be a really large critical part of the cybersecurity ecosystem in a few years compared to new technologies that are extremely valuable, but maybe more of a feature that over time gets attached to a bigger platform. And given how much devastation cyber attacks can inflict, the other area of focus, of course, is regulation in this space. Regulations in particular really designed to strengthen the financial market's resilience to online attacks. So 
Where does that regulation stand at this point and what could be the implications? Yeah, look, I think we've seen governments start to turn a lot of focus towards cybersecurity, and I'll use it in a more general sense here. At RSA, one of the key themes in the regulatory space has been around privacy. And we've seen these new regulations like GDPR and CCPA come out, which are not only very broad, but they're also very deep and specific in terms of protecting personal information and how companies have a responsibility to protect individuals. And then on the other side of it, we're starting to see the government evolve. Certainly within the government, they've adopted the NIST framework and they're using that as sort of a basis of where they're driving all of their different operating departments to drive their cybersecurity. I think we'll see that start to come into certainly critical industries and industries that are fundamental to the security of the country. So you'll see that moving into manufacturing and utilities, and you'll certainly see it come into spaces like financial services where real impact can be brought against the country if they're to be compromised. And I would add to that, which I completely agree with, I would also add some of the more, as you were thinking about this specifically for financial markets, you probably saw some new requirements the SEC brought in for companies to essentially report and disclose security incidents. And I think all of those themes with what David talked about also participate to the fact that security has become way more complex than before to operate. Regulation is changing constantly. There's, you need to constantly evolve. And that goes back to one of the themes that we've both talked about a lot, which is simplification and really helping companies actually run their security posture, which is a really important theme right now that we're seeing a lot of investments behind. And I think, frankly, regulation and evolution of regulation is an important factor in that overall thesis. And the only add-on to that I would put in is, you know, this is starting to affect every scale of business, right down to small businesses. And to try and make that manageable, particularly in the backdrop of a lack of cybersecurity professionals in the market, we're starting to see MSSPs start to play a bigger role in helping businesses of all scales to address the cybersecurity problem. And I think the MSSP will be important on an ongoing basis. Even companies with very sophisticated cybersecurity programs will lean on MSSPs to do certain parts of their cyber defense. Marco, David, I know we didn't get to everything. There's a lot to discuss in the cybersecurity space, but thank you so much for coming on and sharing some of your insights with us today. Likewise, Allison. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us this Wednesday, June 8th, 2022, for another episode of Exchanges at Goldman Sachs. But before we go, I'd like to share news about an exciting new project we've been busy with. Every week on Exchanges, I sit down with top Goldman Sachs leaders and thinkers to discuss how the most pressing macroeconomic issues are moving economies and markets. But have you ever wondered how other top investors are navigating today's market headwinds? In our new special series, Exchanges at Goldman Sachs, Great Investors, Allison Mass, our chairman of the Investment Banking Division, and Katie Koch, our chief investment officer of public equity in our Asset Management Division, will be speaking with some of the world's most respected investors about their investment strategies and views on markets and global economies. Catch this limited run series on the Exchanges feed now. If you enjoyed this show, we hope you follow on your platform of choice and tune in next week for another episode. Make sure to like, share, and leave a comment on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.
all price references and market forecasts correspond to the date of this recording. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, published, or reproduced in whole or in part. The information contained in this podcast does not constitute research or a recommendation from any Goldman Sachs entity to the listener. Neither Goldman Sachs nor any of its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the statements or any information contained in this podcast, and any liability, therefore, including in respect of direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage, is expressly disclaimed. The views expressed in this podcast are not necessarily those of Goldman Sachs, and Goldman Sachs is not providing any financial, economic, legal, accounting, or tax advice or recommendations in this podcast. In addition, the receipt of this podcast by any listener is not to be taken as constituting the giving of investment advice by Goldman Sachs to that listener, nor to constitute such person a client of any Goldman Sachs entity.